It's your boy Rabino. And this DJ Erm in the building. And you listen to the Up and Up podcast. Yeah. Wait, what are we doing? I don't know. Just listen. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What it do, what it do. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuning to the Up and Up podcast on the Up and Up network. I'm your host, Rabino. And I'm DJ Erm, man. What's up, boss? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm blessed, man. You know me, man. Yep. Grateful for the moment. Grateful for everybody in the room, obviously. Yes, sir. Grateful for you being here as well. Yes, sir. Likewise, man. Yeah, man. I'm yeah. feeling good, though. I'm feeling good, man. Um, For the first time, listeners, as I stated, this is the Up and Up podcast. Thank you for tuning in, Um, as well as the family members, right? We, mm-hmm. you know, some people call them listeners, viewers, that whole thing. We call them family, right? Yes, sir. Um, Shout out to you guys <laughs> for consistently supporting. And if this is your first time tuning in, thank you and welcome to the family. And as I stated, our focus here is is strictly cultivating culture. And we do that by providing amazing stories of individuals, groups, movements, right? People Mm -hmm. who are breaking down barriers, right? In their own right, respectively. Um, And not just for all of us here, but those coming from behind, right? The next generation, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Um, I am excited for the family members and new listeners, We've we've been we've been cooking some things up, right? Yes, we got sir. some surprises on the way, maybe in the next couple episodes. Yep. That will be uh rolled out for all the culture cultivators out there, the yeah. hustlers, right? Especially yeah. the hustlers. Um yeah. we're excited about, but we'll 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 get to that when we get to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, man, outside of that, you know, man, I you know, I had a moment today. I'm not gonna lie. I had a moment where I was reflecting. Wow. And I was like, yo, we've had so many amazing people sitting in this seat. Yeah. Like we sit down and talk to amazing people, right? Yep. And I was like, why, why not? Why stop now? Let's mm-hmm. just keep going. Yep. Let's keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and today's guest, man, I would say someone who's, who's who I would consider to be a, a true trailblazer um, and who's blazing these trails in real time um, while showing his community what it looks like to bet on yourself to, to uplift others, right? Um, he's definitely a true culture cultivator who's keeping everything he's doing on the up and up. Um, a little bit of insight, he is currently serving as the commissioner of the Port of Seattle um, and, and after being elected in 2019, which he did in, in such historic fashion, I would say, if I could say so myself, yeah. um, and being, you know, the first Korean American, um, not only that, but to be the youngest to be elected to that position, um, you know, it's, it's broken down barriers, just to uh, say the least, mm-hmm. um, which in turn has resulted in creating even more opportunities for diversity and inclusion in that arena, right? Yes, sir. Um, he's someone who's truly paid his dues, man. He's impacted many lives from his early entrepreneurial journey, building a successful export and trade business known as Seven Seas Exports, um, to also working under Barack Obama and his administration at, at a time. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what more can I say, man. right? Like Jay-Z said, <laughs> what more can I say, man? Uh, we can call this brother a multi-hyphenated, Trailblazing culture cultivator. Let's just call him wow. that. But but what's wow. even more amazing is his story. Wow. <laughs> you like that one, right? Yeah. But what's even more amazing is his story is just getting started with many more chapters to write. So let's just get straight to him. And our guest is none other than the one, the only, the commissioner himself, <laughs> Sam Cho. Can we get a round of applause? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How you doing, it. boss? I'm good, man. I'm also blessed. Uh, it's been a good summer. Yeah. Uh, keeping busy. This yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, man. We appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, man. You know. Definitely excited to have you on. How's the day treating you? Just uh, It's been hot, man. This summer has been a little crazy, right? Uh, it's getting hot. I feel like every year it gets hotter and hotter. Right? Yeah. And uh, we just got to adapt. You know, I grew up in the in Seattle. And yeah. 
you know, if you grew up here, this is not what you're used to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, like well, our houses didn't come with AC when Facts. we were growing up, bro. Like, Facts. that's something we're yeah. going to have to put in all houses going yeah. forward, I feel yeah. like. You know? Maybe you can help out with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll come through the port for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, um, just to get you up to speed, and if you're not familiar already, we always start every episode with the quote of the day. Um, something to get the vibe right, get Love the conversation that. started. Brother Man Earn, man of the yes, quotes. Sir. Yes, sir. What you got for us today? All right. The quote of the day today is, Excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Oh, I love that. Mm. 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 Who was that quote by? Booker T. Washington. Oh, there mm. you go. Yeah. Legendary. Yes, sir. I like that. Yeah. I see you. Okay, okay. I see you. <laughs> see, now I was like, man. <laughs> yeah. I like this one. So, it stuck yeah, out. You know, I had to bring it out for this episode. It stuck out. Yeah. We're going to have to have to do a deep dive on uh, Erm's process of picking quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he never misses, bro. It's crazy. I love it. Um, so, Sam, obviously, you know, what we do here is obviously talk about the journeys, man, yeah. and, and amplify people's stories and the, the roads they've they um, went on to get to where they're at. But I am I am curious, I mean, for the listeners and viewers, um, you know, now in 2022, being commissioner, and um, mm-hmm. how would you say your role has kind of shifted from when you first came in? Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, how would you describe what your role looks like now? For yeah. those who want to know or get some insight. Well, you know, how I would characterize it is that it, it's been really shaped by what's happened in the community in the last two and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people forget, you know, I ran in 2019, mm-hmm. in the fall of 2019. I got sworn in January 7th of 2020, and mm. the pandemic hit us January mm. 21st, 2020. Man. Literally, I legit had two weeks of just, you know, normalcy, and then the pandemic hit us, right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so for me, you know, you know, my expectation as a port commissioner, as an incoming port commissioner, was completely flipped on its head when I got sworn in and the pandemic hit us. We were the epicenter. People forget yeah. Seattle was the epicenter. Like Kirkland with that, 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 uh, that uh, the, the elderly care mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we shut down in March, right? Like, just yeah. the entire state shut down in March. And yeah. so I was running a port that went from having, you know, 50,000 passengers through SeaTac International Airport every day to 3,200 a day. Mm. It was crazy, right? Yeah. Wow. And then we had, you all, you all read about the congestion at the port mm-hmm. yep. and how much of a supply chain issue we had. Yeah. So for me, I just feel like it was drinking. I mean, people say when you get elected and you start your job, you start, you drink out of a, uh, a fire hose, right? Mm-hmm. For me, I felt like I was drinking out of a freaking waterfall because <laughs> yeah. there was so much yeah. going on. The learning curve was insane for yeah. me. Yeah. It's unimaginable. Yeah. yeah. But most, but I think the, the biggest impact was, you know, most folks, quite frankly, don't really know what a port commissioner does or mm. what that in, all entails. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the pandemic, because of all the issues around airports and port, seaports, there was a, a new you know, uh, interest in what the port does. Why is my stuff not arriving on time? Yeah. Well, what is this inflation thing we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Why are the cost of goods going up 8, 9, 20% right now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That was, a lot of that had, you know, a lot of the supply chain issues had to do with the port. And so there was this heightened awareness of the port. Mm. Um, but at the same time, as you all know, there was a uh, racial reckoning, mm-hmm. uh, anti-Asian hate from this COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Never would have imagined that as a port commissioner, I would have entered a, a, a space where I had a bigger role in advocating for my community mm-hmm. in these times mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and showing solidarity and allyship to the black community when we were going through the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. and then having to show up for my own community yeah. when yeah. we saw all that anti-Asian hate. Yeah. And so, yeah, the poor commissioner is not a very well-known position, yeah. but people do know that it's an elected position yeah. uh, and that it's a position of leadership. And so I feel like a lot of that advocacy uh, and that solidarity support um, across communities fell on my shoulders. Mm. And that's, I think, 
was kind of the biggest curveball yeah. uh, since I was elected. Yeah. Now uh, you definitely broke that down, man. Yeah, thank you for breaking it down. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the analogy of the uh, from instead of a water hose, waterfall. Because it was insane. Yeah, I can only imagine. But you, you're still here. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're doing the thing, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been so. it's been a crazy three years. Um, yeah. But you Time know, flies. It, yeah, exactly. It's a four year term. I'm already three years in, mm-hmm. and I feel like I just started, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. We went through some sort of weird, like, time loop where everything fast-forwarded. Yeah, yeah Everything accelerated. I agree with that. And yeah. it just feels weird that I'm three years older, and I'm already going to be up next year for another term. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's insane. So, um, well, thank you for that. Yeah. And um, I just want, kind of want to take it back to the beginning yeah. of the journey. So mm-hmm. for sure. let's talk about your upbringing, yeah. um, background, just growing up, Yeah. you know. So uh, my parents are Korean. They immigrated uh, from South Korea mm-hmm. in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, they immigrated to the United States through the Port of Seattle. Mm. Wow. So it's, it's really wow. cool for yeah. my family Story and, and my parents, right exactly, yeah. for to go from immigrating through the Port of Seattle to then, uh, you know, running the Port of Seattle, right? It's, mm. it's, a, wow. full, it's a true full circle moment for That's our cool. family. Definitely. Uh, my parents were dry cleaners. Right, very, very uh, blue collar. I, I joke actually. I say, you know, my parents grew up scrubbing white collars for a living. Today, I wear white collars for a living. <laughs> wow. Again, full circle, right? You know, that's yeah. that's the, that's the truth, and yeah. uh, feel very blessed. You know, um, dry, dry dry cleaning uh, is very modest work. It's it's not it's not glamorous. It's not sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, in the '90s and the early 2000s, it was it was good work. It was an honest day's work. Yeah. yeah. You know. And it was an honest living, yeah. right? And, and it was enough to provide for my brother and I and, mm-hmm. and put us through school and yeah. really provide for us, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. And, and, and I think part of what drives me uh, as a politician, as a leader, mm-hmm. is kind of making sure I pay it forward and provide those opportunities, the so-called American dream, to, mm-hmm. to, to those who are coming up next, right? Yeah. And, uh, if there is anything that kind of defines me as a leader, it's how do I... Uh, pay it forward yeah. and, and make sure that you know the opportunities that I had growing up uh, are are there for you know kids my age, yeah. uh, kids that are growing up today in our in our in our communities. Yeah, yeah. No, that's real. That's real, man. I'm yeah. I'm also curious. You know, being Korean, uh, Korean American, mm-hmm. like I think everybody can attest to this if you kind of have that first generation immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how was it for you? I guess I call it the, like the great immigrant balance. I don't know if you, <laughs> you want to coin that. I don't know. <laughs> but like, how was it for you culturally and socially yeah. to kind of grow up in America and, and, and find your, find your way, navigate? Yeah. I mean, to be candid, you know, my parents were so, you know, we call it fob fresh off the boat, right? That, you know, in the household, we spoke Korean uh, we were very, we ate Korean dinners mm-hmm. and like, it was very traditional. And then obviously when I was outside the house, you know, I had to somewhat assimilate. So I, I feel like I always grew up with like this, uh, you know, two identities, right? Mm-hmm. In school, I'd be, you know, I try to be as, you know, American as possible. Mm-hmm. And then when I come home, you know, I'm, I'm speaking Korean yeah. and I'm eating Korean yeah. food. And so yeah. that, that has been always been kind of, uh, how I, how I, it wasn't until maybe after I, you know, graduated from high school and left the house that mm. I really started to find my identity as a Korean American, mm. independent of my parents and independent of my culture. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely, you know, moments as a child where I would think, Hmm, like, where do I, where, where do I fit in here? Right. And, yeah. and if you grew up in Seattle, you know, I feel like Seattle maybe has become a little more diverse than when we were kids because of all the, the transplants and people moving here from yeah. working in tech and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, Seattle was really white, like yeah. especially in the 90s, right? Yeah. Like, I was, like, the only Korean kid in my elementary school, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And, and, so, uh, and, and so for me, um, 
not having others that are like me in my vicinity yeah. was, was was a challenge uh, in my day to day. Yeah. Uh, I think one blessing that I had was my, my parents were very heavily involved in the church mm-hmm. mm. uh, and they were very active in the Korean church. And mm-hmm. so I did, you know, every, every Sunday we'd go to church and I would meet other Korean kids yeah. like I am a youth group and whatnot. Yeah. And that, that certainly helped me um, kind of validate my identity because, you know, when you meet people who are going through similar experiences, you it kind of validates, yeah. you know, your experience. And yeah. so. I think that was a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. Uh, and and if you if you ask anyone in the community today, I wear my Korean heritage on my sleeve. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Not timid about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely times uh, growing up where I would you know try to assimilate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you talk to an Asian or you talk to a Korean, everyone, every every Asian kid has their lunchbox moment. That's mm-hmm. what we call it, right? Mm-hmm. Lunchbox. Uh, moment. Mom makes you lunch. You take yep. it to school. You open up the lunchbox and it smells. To the white kids, yeah, they're like, what, yeah, what yeah. is that? What is yeah, like yeah, kimchi yeah. or yeah. whatever? And yeah. it's like, what is that, right? Yeah. And I distinctly remember when I was a kid, uh, one of the girls sitting next to me saw my lunchbox, made a weird sound, and yeah. it was like, oh, what is that? Yeah. And I straight up just took it to the trash and threw it away. Didn't yeah. even eat it because I, yeah. so, I was so embarrassed. We've, we've all been yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, we've, yeah. Been there. we've all been there. And then yeah. potlucks, man. The yeah, potlucks, man. Yeah. It wasn't friendly. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, after that experience, I told my mom I didn't want sack lunch anymore. I wanted to eat school lunches. Yeah. Right? And so my parents would just, you know, have me eat school lunches after that. Yeah, you know, there's there's yeah. still an element of guilt yeah. today yeah. when I think about those moments. Yeah. You know, obviously mm-hmm. I was young and naive and yeah, didn't yeah. know better. For yeah. sure. But in hindsight, if I had that chance to replay that moment, yeah. knowing what I know now, yeah. I'd be like, deal with it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But that's the confidence though, you know? Yeah. You bi- we built our confidence right. over time. That's mm-hmm. right. The longer we've been here and, and the longer we've contributed. That's right. You know? Yeah. That's good, bro. That's Definitely. good stuff. So, like, growing up, like, yeah. what were you, like, interested in? What was, like, your early interests and, like, influences? Yeah, you know, um, uh, I, I grew up, I mean, there weren't a lot of, like, Asian role models growing up, right, yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, actually, I, I should take that back. There were in the sense that I think growing up for me, uh, there's a guy named Gary Locke, oh, former, yeah. former yep. governor, governor of Washington. Yeah. You know, that was really rare if you think yeah. about it. And I feel, and I think back, well, maybe subconsciously, like, seeing an Asian governor, mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know, maybe planted a scene in my head when I was younger that, mm. oh, like, that's achievable. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like representation. Re- representation, right? Yeah. Like, that, 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 the fact that an Asian-American male could run for governor win and do it for, you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, but to be candid, I didn't grow up with an interest in politics or anything like that. Mm. Uh, I was just a... I would say I was a above average student. Wasn't the best student, but uh, above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, kind of prototypical family that emphasized school mm-hmm. uh my parents were a little different in that they didn't really impose certain careers on me necessarily yeah. like they weren't like you got to be a doctor or a lawyer or yeah. junior, right they mm-hmm. were they really were like you, you should explore what you want and and, and really find your own path mm-hmm. um but but yeah i mean i i didn't come, grow up with a lot of asian role models uh, it wasn't really until maybe college that i started to really uh, find folks who who i've considered mentors and, yeah. and stuff like that yeah. Yeah. yeah i love sports you know growing up yeah you're low, you, got, you got a little jump shot dude i i, I, I watch you know you the space jam era yeah. you know played a lot of basketball growing up on the, on the playground and yeah. played a little organized ball in middle school but yeah. uh, in high school um, you know I, my parents cut that off real quick. <laughs> like focus on your stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, man, what if I went like neck deep in sports? Yeah, like, you know, what would have happened? But uh, no, I, I, other than that, it's pretty, uh, chill, you know, par for the course. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious because you mentioned, um, you know, college. And I think yeah. we talk about this all the time, especially for 
anybody who's listening or watching that is about to embark on that journey of yeah. academia and going to college, like it's a time, man. Yeah, it's absolutely. definitely a time. And so for you, um, you know, you, you, you studied at American university That's right. and as well as the London school of economics. That's right. Um, like, it's like, what would you say about the kid who came in versus the man who exited? Yeah. Like, in between, like, how would you describe the two? Yeah. From your, from your perspective. I went through a tremendous amount of personal growth during those times when I was in Washington, D.C., and also in London. Mm. I think um, when, you grew, when you grow up, you know, it, it's not even, like, unique to Seattle, but really, like, in my, in my uh, community, right, there's kind of, like, two people, right? There's yeah. the, the kids who uh, grew up locally, went to the U., Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, did all the routine stuff, like played basketball on Thursdays at church and, you know, uh, stayed within kind of the community. And then there are those kids who kind of left. Right. Who went out of the state or uh, and and I think there is a tremendous amount of growth there because uh, you're forcing yourself into situations uh, that are make you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or more force you to be more independent. Mm -hmm. Right. And so me leaving my family, uh, you know, and going to the East Coast. Uh, you know, I was living in, you know, with roommates for the first time that weren't my family, right? Mm-hmm. I was going to school. You know, a lot of kids who go to the UW, you know, would commute to school every day, right? Yeah. You know, or, or stay close to their uh, family where they can go back on weekends. Yeah, the and environment didn't really yeah, change. Yeah, the environment mm-hmm. didn't change, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's not just an analogy for folks, you know, who are, who are local. Just, I feel like that's an analogy for life. Like sometimes you got to put yourself in those environments that really stretch you and mm, push yeah. you and, yeah. you know, you know. I, I had friends in college who went to UW who would take their laundry back to, to, to their house every weekend and their mom yeah. would do the laundry and bring yeah. it back to the yeah. dorms, right? Yeah. Right? Like, whereas, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that, yeah. right? And yeah. so, like, yeah. I had to learn, like, how do I separate this? It's those little things, yeah. Those little things yeah. add up, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, for me, like, being in D.C., kind of having that distance from my family who would have done anything and everything for me if I was still in Seattle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's just how my parents are. Like, yeah. Yeah. My mom, if I, I promise you, if I went to UW, uh, my mom would have brought me food every day or every week and stuffed yeah. my fridge with food, yeah. right? Like, I would yeah. never have had to have cooked, yeah. right? It's just stuff like, little stuff like that yeah. that adds up, right? Yeah. And so it was a level, there was a level of independence and growth that I had to go through. Mm. Um, and that's part of why, actually, I went to grad school in London as well, is because mm. I wanted that international experience as yeah. well. Just mm. get, uh, get out of the country yeah. Uh, yeah. and live in a different country that's big. Uh, for a little bit and, yeah. and experience that different culture, right? And, yeah. and and trust me, like you know, when I, when I was in uh, London, it's 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 different. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, racism is different in UK. It's really funny. It's yeah. A, um, uh, and so you know, experiencing all that and, and then bringing it back home. Yeah. Uh, I think it paid tremendous dividends. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can imagine, bro. Definitely. Yeah, because when I seen that, I was like, man, a lot of people, they probably just stay in the states, but yeah. you experienced both. So I was just like, man, that's. Yeah, it must have been a hell of an experience. You know? Yeah, and you know, in, like in hindsight, it's not like I knew that at the time. Yeah, right. I, at, honestly, when I chose to go to DC, I just wanted to get away from my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But when you think about it, you know, you know hindsight is twenty twenty. We think about it, and you think about all your experiences from being away. You know, um, that's you know, that's that's how I feel. Like, oh man, like I don't think I would have done X, Y, and Z had yeah. I not you know, left the city. Yeah. And so everything's relative though. I think everything's relative to your journey. Absolutely. And like I said, sometimes in real time, we don't really even know what this is going to lead to. Yeah. But, and then you look up, you know what I mean? However many years later and you're like, Oh, okay. This all makes sense. It all connects. And, um, I'm curious because you did get a taste of the political space prior to even being, um, working in the port of Seattle, yeah. um, working under Obama's administration yep. as a political appointee. Like, how did that come about? Like, how did you get yeah. 
like you know they don't just pick anybody on <laughs> I'm saying like but like well, take us through that experience yeah. saying yo I, I, I'm here now like yeah. how did you get into that yeah so um when I went to grad school in London, my goal was to actually uh, join the Foreign Service and become a diplomat. Okay. You know, I wanted to be a diplomat. And so that's why after grad school, I went back to D.C. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up working for a member of Congress on, you know, foreign affairs, trade defense issues. Right. Okay. And so worked for a member of Congress, I think nine months in. I get a call and it's so funny because like when the White House calls you, like you don't know it's the White House, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. It actually says it's a block number. It's like, it's, 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 a, it's a number that it doesn't even show what number it yeah. is. Yeah. Right? And so I was like, what is this, right? So I call, so I answered the phone and the guy goes, hey, this is, it's called the, the PPO office, Office of Presidential Personnel. They're, it's kind of like the, the recruitment office of the White House. Okay. Right? The headhunters or whatever. Okay. And they're like, hey, like we got your resume from somebody who recommended you wondering if you were interested in working for this administration. And I was like, I thought I was getting punked. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, honestly, like, you know, it's so yeah. casual, right? Just yeah. call a guy and yeah. be like, hey, you want to work pro bono? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, you know, I was like, I, I, I literally, uh, I was, I, my answer at the time was like, does anyone say no to that question? Yeah, yeah. no. Right? Um, and so, like, it was a really interesting process because they actually kind of pick you first and then you go through these interviews of different spots that you could potentially work. Mm. Um, and so wow. given what I wanted to do, I wanted to go into foreign policy and, and all that stuff. I was kind of looking at, you know, State Department or, you know, U.S. Uh, US Department of Commerce or whatever. Yeah. I ended up at this weird agency called the General Services Administration, GSA. Like, okay. no one's heard of it. Yeah. You know, I remember being on the call with the White House liaison there and, like, Googling what GSA does. Because I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what the, this is, right? I'm in the building now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, was, I don't know what you guys do. Um, but it, yeah, it was a crazy process. It took a little while. Uh, it took about three months yeah. and I was kind of like in this weird waiting, waiting period. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, uh, one thing that the Obama administration did so well is that they, um, were so good about diversity within the administration. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like, is natural, you know, the first black president, mm -hmm. you know, the, the administration were very conscious about who they wanted to work in the administration. Mm -hmm. And those folks over at PPO were constantly looking for POC candidates to, to, to bring into the administration. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think maybe, I don't know what, if it was my education or if it was my experience on um, working for the member of Congress, yeah. someone somewhere, I still have no idea who it is. So you don't know who I, recommended I actually, you? I, I legit do not know for sure. We need to sure. find this person. Yeah. <laughs> I know, because I owe them. Hopefully they watch this I episode. owe them so much, man. I mean, yeah. I, have, I have a few guesses who it might be, yeah, but you, should, you should hire the PPO to go find them. That's right. Or like just go <laughs> back. Yeah, you know, I should just go back. To P P I mean, they're they're gone now, but from yeah. that administration. But like, just go back to the the recruiter and be like, hey, like, wh where exactly did you get my yeah. resume? Yeah, yeah, that'd be uh, dope. But it's it's a very unscientific process, you know. And I went through a bunch of interviews. One of the agents appointed me, so I worked in the administration for the last two years. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I seriously like, you know worked for some of the smartest minds I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Mm -hmm. I still keep in contact with many of them. And mm -hmm. the Obama family is the Obama family. Mm -hmm. we all, you know, there are a lot of local, actually there are a lot of s people in Seattle who, who are former Obama appointees. There's mm -hmm. a group oh, of wow. us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, and so we all keep in touch and, mm -hmm. uh, That's it's, amazing. It, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's almost cultic. Yeah, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's really cool. I mean, it's just, it was historic for yeah. many of us. And uh, being a part of history, sometimes you don't even know it in the moment, but, yeah, man. Looking back on it now, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, so it was a great experience. The The process wasn't like, you know, everyone asks me, how did you do it? Or like, how do, how do I get an appointment? That's what they ask. Like, how do I do what you did? It's like, look, there's no like one size fits all way of doing it. Like, yeah. there's different ways. Like, so most people, when they work for a presidential administration, they worked on the campaign. 
Mm-hmm. Right. They yeah. like they were volunteers or did work on the campaign. And mm-hmm. then when they transition and get elected, they move over to the official side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that wasn't me. I never worked on the Obama campaign. I never I never volunteered for Obama. Mm. Wow. Um, but it was really, you know, whoever that angel who put my ne- resume on someone's desk. That, yeah. Shout really, out to them. Yeah, dude. Shout yeah. out to them for real. It's, again, an opportunity, right? You know, someone paying it forward and saying, hey, Sam, Sam's, li- you know, Sam's got some potential. But you but you were ready for it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big thing too. Sometimes, man, like it's about being prepared, dude. Because if you're not prepared, like you know what I'm saying, dude. That's it won't, you know it won't what's that definition? That definition, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, that yeah. I, I think that's a hundred percent true, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. uh, people can be presented with opportunities, but if you're not ready, yeah, like yeah, you're not ready, yeah. Right? And 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 uh, uh, and I guess like that's. Th- that's kind of my mo is like opportunity. Right? Yeah, I, I I believe like luck is attracted to preparation. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I think yeah. luck seeks out those who are yep. prepared, and mm-hmm. it, it comes off as lucky. But you were ready, man. Yeah. It was probably honestly, it was just like a a conversation I was having, you know, casually with yeah. somebody. I mentioned, oh, I'd love to work for the administration. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and they were like, they may not have told me straight up, yeah. but they might have just slipped my resume somewhere. Right. Yeah. Like it's, that, and that's why you you never know. You, you yeah. You, know, you always got to be looking out. You know, and 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 seeking those opportunities. Oh, that's real. Definitely, man. That's real, man. So, yeah. um, we'll transition in, yeah. into Seven Seas Export. <laughs> uh, what pretty much uh, sparked that idea for you? Yeah. So, um, my uh, my term, okay, my not my term. Obama's term ended in mm-hmm. uh, in uh, January of 20, uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, excuse me, twenty seventeen. Um, and it was a tough time. Or Obama people. I remember Trump got elected. Yeah. He got sworn in. All these Obama people left because, you know, when you get appointed, you mm-hmm. your ter- you only stay as long as the term of the president that you were appointed by. Mm-hmm. But it was a tough job market. You know, think about the time Trump took the White House. The Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate at the time. Mm. So you had several hundreds, if not thousands, of Obama people yeah. looking for new jobs. Yeah. And it was really, really tough. Like, I, re- I was on unemployment. And uh, I was applying for everything and anything. I literally, like, was not even thinking about if this is a job I want to do. I just needed a job. Mm. Um, Before I worked for Obama, I did trade policy. Uh, And my dissertation at at the London School of Economics was on trade policy. And so I always kind of kept up on trade policy. And at the time, there was this crazy outbreak of bird flu in Asia. Yeah. In Asia, avian influenza kind of happens every year, every every winter. Mm Mm-hmm. But in 2016, there was an especially bad strain of bird flu. Mm. And the government started to kill all these chicken flocks because mm. they wanted to stop the spread of the bird flu. Yeah. But obviously, if you kill all the chickens, you don't have enough eggs, yep. yeah. right? So they, it, it resulted in this crazy shortage of eggs. Mm. And when the shortage happened, the price of a carton of eggs legit went from $3 a carton to like $10 a carton. Wow. Right? It was wow. insane. And, 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 and so I saw that. I was reading the news, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started reading that the government, the Asian governments like South Korea were reducing tariff levels. So like tariff is like usually a tax they put on imports. Tax, yeah. yeah. Yep. So it was originally like a 23%. So every time I, someone would import eggs to Korea, they would add 23% tax, mm-hmm. which makes the eggs really expensive, yep. right? Yep. But they lowered it to 0% temporarily because there was such a crazy shortage. Yeah. They were like, we need to import eggs. Yeah. Uh, so and I then I see the light shining right now. I know, right? I know, right? Like, the like it's just getting brighter, brighter. <laughs> right? um, <laughs> and And then the government started to subsidize the freight cost. So the freight cost is just like shipping it from point A to point B, yeah, right? Because yeah. they were so bad. Mm-hmm. 
So a light bulb went off, and uh, I actually started, you know, I, 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 I drove to a Costco, and I looked at how much a 36-pack of eggs was. It was like $3.40 or whatever, right? You know, $3.40, $10, $3.40. Yeah, You know, like any arbitrage opportunity here. We call it arbitrage. following the vision Yeah, yeah. And so I started cold calling farms, bro. Like, legit, I sat down, and I started looking up farms, egg farms, and just started calling. And it just so happened the first farm that answered the phone and would even have a conversation with me was Wilcox Farms here in Washington. Wow. wow. Roy, Wa- Roy Washington. Wow. And it was Andy Wilcox. Wow. Andy Wilcox, uh, it's like a fifth-generation family-owned uh, operation. Andy Wilcox answers the phone, and he goes, you know, you know I was like, you know, there's this opportunity. Like, we should, <laughs> you, should you should export eggs. I'll help you. Like, yeah. you know, just give me a shot. Curious. At this time, did you have the ducks in a row and everything? Or no, was this, this was so like, this is just like a real cold call. Hundred percent fake until you make it. <laughs> Seriously, like I, I was like, it. you know, like you know, I like yeah. I'd be like, you know, I can buy biters in Korea, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll I'll range all the. The transportation and logistics. Like, yeah. what, what did I know about you know, you know transportation? Yeah, and I logistics. love this. I love these yeah. type of stuff. Um, it's so amazing. Yeah. And so and so the guy literally, I like go. I do this like pitch, and I kid you not. At the end of um, the pitch, he goes, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> and I was like, "Do the pitch again." And I was yeah. like, "Look, look, I, I'm from Seattle. Uh, let me let me come let me come and see you in person, right?" Yeah. So I I literally flew to Seattle, drove down to Roy Washington met these guys um, and they gave me a shot. They were like, okay, well, if you can find buyers in Korea, mm-hmm. we'll sell you eggs. Mm. So I was like, okay. So, you know, like, you know, at this point I, now I got to like put up or shut up. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I scrambled, look for buyers in Korea. I finally bought, I, I finally found someone who had a supermarket in Korea, just like a grocery store. And I said, Hey, I, I can get you eggs. Right. <laughs> so I literally put eggs on a pallet. Right. Yeah. And I put them on a plane, like the underbelly of a, a, a plane, and I shipped them to Korea. Okay. Total disaster, bro. Oh man. <laughs> For all the obvious reasons. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. they're fragile. Yep. Like they need to be refrigerated. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. I was an idiot. Like yeah. you know, I was like, <laughs> and at the time I was thinking, oh man, no wonders no one do no one is doing this from here because it's crazy. Yeah. It's like logistically impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like really, th- and I was out like 10K, and that mm-hmm. was like a lot for me back then. Yeah. Like I was just, you know, I was on unemployment. Yeah. That was like most of my savings. Yeah. Um, and so I was about to fold, and then I was just thinking, and I was like, man, how do I make this work? Yeah. And so what I ended up doing is I actually changed my business, and I pivoted from selling eggs to grocery stores and like supermarkets to consumers like you and me, mm-hmm. to selling eggs to businesses mm. like uh, like bakeries, mm. restaurants, yeah. right? Mm. And so the difference there is that they use eggs as an ingredient in their product. Mm. So let's mm. say you're making bread or cookies. You yep. need eggs yeah. for the dough, right? Yep. So why does that matter? Because yeah. they crack the eggs anyway. Yep. Right? Yep. Wow. So my pivot was let's crack them here in the U.S. and just send them in liquid form. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So uh, when people hear about my egg export story, yeah. they think I sh- I shipped like sh- shelled eggs. Yeah. yeah. That's not what I did. Okay. Break it I down. shipped. I shipped. I had the farms crack the eggs. Okay. Right. And they would put the egg whites and the egg yolks in these thirty pound vacuum sealed packs, basically. Okay. Right? okay. And now they're not fragile because they're already cracked. Mm-hmm. And now I can actually put them in a container on, on a boat instead of a plane. Mm. So now you brought down transportation costs. Yep. Yep. 
the bakeries and the and the confectionaries and the restaurants love it because yeah. now they just need to rip open it's this convenient. thing and throw it in with yep. whatever they're making, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. a convenience factor there. Yep. It's a value add product, yep. right? Yeah. And so that's what I did. I started uh, exporting uh, liquid eggs, literally without the shell, um, and wow. it, it was a huge hit over there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, and a lot of the big bakeries and confectionaries and food manufacturers yeah. and man and then here's the other crazy part is that obviously an egg is you know this is so wonky uh egg yolk and egg white right mm -hmm. so if you separate the egg whites and the egg yolks you can now you have now three products yeah right yeah, you can vertical just, integration yeah yeah right there. <laughs> you know you, you diversify it's yep. three products yep. in one so you can yeah. sell egg whites you can sell egg yolks yep. Yep. or you can sell whole eggs mm, right so like yeah. the mayonnaise manufacturers will take the white whites and the, the ice cream manufacturers will take like yolk i mean you know it's amazing then, it's crazy yeah. it's crazy and so in two years, uh, I did this between 2017 and 2019 when I ran for office, and I exported like two and a half million pounds of eggs. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. I read that it was over two, 2.5 million. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of eggs, man. And, and yeah. it got to a point where Wilcox actually couldn't supply it because it was too much volume. Mm. So I ended up going to, you know, egg farms in like Thompsonville, New York, and like mm -hmm. Esterville, Iowa, yeah. wow. Gainesville, Georgia, like places I've actually never yeah. been to. Yeah. You got to keep yeah. the show right? going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it, you know, it was, it's a really, it was a really niche um, business. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously in 2019, there was an opportunity to run for the port. Yeah. So I ran, and when I got elected, the optics of being an exporter and uh, also being a port commander yeah. was like, yeah. you know, like not... Yeah. A true conflict of interest but like yeah. a little sketchy right yeah so. I, I, i'm curious though yeah. um man you broke that down man that was <laughs> yeah that was amazing that was story. amazing <laughs> man that was amazing and salute man salute, yeah, salute to that time man but um you did touch on kind of the transition from the political space with the yeah. obama administration then you know Business. being unemployed and then figuring out what the next move is. Yeah. I did want to kind of get your insight yeah. or to provide tips and advice for people because you said it was somewhat of a low point. Yeah. And I think we're, we're all humans here. We yeah. all have had low, low points in between yeah. pivots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have advice and tips for people on how to just keep that forward motion when yeah. it feels like, damn, I have nothing going for me right now? Here, like, what, what would you say to that? Here's the interesting thing about not just entrepreneurship, but I think generally about, you know, like life and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I was able to do that business because I was at my lowest point, mm. right? Like, it's kind of like uh, the bigger you are, the harder you fall, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. or, or the higher you are, the furthest you fall. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I had other things going for me, like another job or something, I wouldn't have even, like, thought about it. But it was because I had nothing else to lose, Yeah. right? Mm. Because it was like, you know, like, all right, like, I'm unemployed and this is a shot in the dark, but yeah. what else am I going to do? Yeah. That I took that shot yeah. right and sometimes yeah. like you're right about the whole like opportunity meets you know preparation and opportunity um aspect of things as well but you know sometimes when you're at your lowest point that's when you can afford to take the lowest risk um, the most risk mm, because yeah. there's not you're not losing you're not putting up as much yeah right uh and so that was my mindset at the time when i started the business mm -hmm. uh i think i've always wanted to maybe try starting a business mm -hmm. you know because my parents were entrepreneurs they ran their own business for so many years and yeah. maybe that had an influence on me mm -hmm. but as far as like the mentality uh that I, the mental state i was in it was kind of like uh i have very little to lose and a lot to gain if mm -hmm. this works out mm -hmm. right it's a great perspective yeah and as far as niche is concerned look like I started the business and I, and I, and I failed the first time, like the first iteration yeah. of the business was a total failure. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think that a lot of people give up too soon. 
I, I really think that. And uh, a lot of people s- see their first iteration is not uh, working, and they just, mm-hmm. like, call it quits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? But yeah. oftentimes, you know, and, and, and I think what gives people an edge in business is, like, they have a niche. Yeah. Something that they specialize in, something that makes them different. Mm-hmm. Something that you know s- makes them stand out as a business, right? And uh, oftentimes it takes iterations to get to that niche. Yep. You got to figure out what makes you different, right? Mm-hmm. What makes yeah. the Up and Up podcast different mm-hmm. than all the thousands of millions of podcasts out there, yeah, right? Yeah. What makes this shop different from this shop, yeah. right? Yeah. And oftentimes it takes failure, yeah. uh, many iterations, yeah. to get to that point where you're like, ah, got it. Like yeah. this is what mm-hmm. it, it imitates life. Yeah. You know, like totally. you know, you grow, you grow. And you learn things about yourself. Yeah. And then you start to refine yourself. You start yep. to become yeah. better, right? So 100%. it's no different, I feel like. Totally, yeah. totally. And that was me. I mean, fortunately, it only took one failure for me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. some people fail multiple times to get to that point where they're like, all right, this is my jam. This yeah. is this is what makes me different yeah. and yeah. unique and special. And, and, yeah. and you market that, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's what put, puts you up in that, you know, the, the, the lot of success. Yeah. 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 And, I th- and I think, like, even paying attention to the – to the loss will lessen pretty totally. much. So mm. it's like, if you really didn't pay attention to how it failed, I don't think it would have been like a lot totally. of people won't know how to pivot. Yeah. yeah so you learn, you learn, that. you got to learn from it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a process of elimination. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I wanted to export eggs. All right. Yeah. You know, I exported it through planes that that was bad. Mm-hmm. Eliminate that. Yep. Right. You know, like shelled eggs. Yeah. No yeah. good. Mm-hmm. No. Exactly. And you just kind of go through a point where like you whittle it down to where like, ah, here we are. Yep. This yep. is it. Yep. This is the baby, right? Yep. And then that's what you run with. No, that's a message, man. It's yeah, a message, definitely. man. Because every, everybody's trying. Everybody's hustling. Everybody's, yeah. they're, they're pursuing something, man. Totally. And it's like, you got to be able to stay locked in, pay attention, be aware mm-hmm. of how it's growing as it's growing in real time. Yeah. Um, so and and the other like thing that. is like, um, I think for me, you know, I mentioned that in the, in the beginning, I was kind of faking it until you make it. Yeah. But I think for me, what a, a lot of what contributed to my success, not just in the business, but also in politics, quite frankly, mm-hmm. is that like, you need to find people, ar- you know, around you or bring people into your circle that can help you find that success. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like, did I, did I know about transportation and logistics, how to ship something from point A to point B in a mass, you know, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. but there are people out there that are already doing it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so while you're figuring out what your niche is, what your specialty is, you also call upon those people who have done something similar or in that field mm-hmm. and learn from them. Right. I think a lot of people are afraid to reach out ask for help or advice and they end up reinventing the wheel, Mm. right? They end Mm. up doing things. And and here's the thing is like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. If there's a version of what you're trying to do already out there, build on that. Don't, 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 don't go back to square one. Why would you do that? You know, that's that's just a waste of your time. It's the identity factor too. I think, like you said, the wheel's the wheel, but you can make, the wheel, your wheel. Totally. Right? And, and present it in a way. Your version of the wheel. Exactly. 100%. I love that. I love that message, yeah. bro. Um, now, let's let's take it to Sam saying, all right, I want to run. <laughs> like, like, you know, again, it's like back to, yeah. I want to go to London. Or, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing that I want to do it. Um, what kind of sparked the interest and, like, pushed you to, like, Obviously, you were already determined. We could tell. <laughs> but like, what, what, yeah, what inspired that man to say, "I want to run for the port, port of Seattle"? Yeah. So I think the first um, p- 
point at which I was aware of the opportunity was when, you know, my predecessor, Courtney Gregoire, decided, mm -hmm. announced that she wasn't running again. So mm -hmm. it was an open seat. And if you know anything about the port, there, it's very rare that there's an open seat. Usually these people are there forever. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people are there forever, mm -hmm. right? They're just career, mm -hmm. you know, commissioners or politicians. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, at the, when I found out, I was like, mm, well, you know, whatever. Um, what really sparked it for me was people started calling me. And saying, hey, man, like, there's this open seat. And, uh, you know, you, you worked for Obama. You are in the export game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, there's, this is a cookie-cutter position mm -hmm. for you, man. And how old were you at this time, just I was for 20, reference? 29. Okay, 29. Yeah. Just, just so people that, when, when, I first, when I first was thinking about it, I was 28. You know, when I declared mm -hmm. I was 29. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, dude, I'm 28. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Wasn't sure if I ever wanted to actually run for office someday, right? Mm -hmm. I had always gotten the political appointee route like mm -hmm. it, you know working for politicians not being a politician myself mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. so it wasn't something that i um i had really thought about doing in my in, in my relative youth mm -hmm. but again going back to the what i do with my business and thought process like what do i have to lose mm. right and i think when you're young in your 20s and 30s like you have so much runway in your life mm. yeah you can take those risks and yeah. you can yeah. fall on your face Talk and you can it. yeah and you can learn from it grow from it and it won't like, if I had lost in 2019, okay, yeah. I would have just brushed myself off and kept living, right? Yeah. It's not like it's fatal for my career. Yeah. yeah. Right? If anything, it got my name out there and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And so, in 2019, I, 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 you know, I felt like, okay, uh, I think I have the credentials, right? Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, I started calling around and I started doing research into the other candidates. There were seven candidates in my race. It was mm. a very crowded race. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and my opponent in general was the mayor of Bellevue. Oh, man. Yeah. So yeah. he was a known entity. Yeah. He, he was a known entity. And so there are a lot of people who, who counted me out. There are like a lot of people like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure if you can pull it off. You know, who is this? And I had just come back to Seattle to start my business. And so quite frankly, I'd been away from Seattle for about seven or eight years because I hadn't been here since high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are like, who is this kid? Like, why, why, why would you think that you could run countywide and win? Yeah. Right. But they didn't. I mean, they just, you know. You know, I feel like when you go to D.C. and work in, in the cap, in the nation's capital yeah. and in the politics, it's a rite of passage and you just you, you learn some shit. Yeah. And, yeah. and people were discounting what I already knew and mm. the, the connections that I had. Underestimated you. Underestimated mm. me. Yeah. Uh, and to be quite frank, that fed the fire. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I just you know, there was an element of wanting to prove people wrong mm -hmm. that, you know, that I, that a 29 year old person of color mm -hmm. can run countywide for the first time and win. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, I think my credentials and my message to the voters resonated with people mm. my uh, my my slogan for my campaign was a port for the people mm. um, like and, and my theme was you know rising tide lifts all boats mm. and that was my message it's like the port of Seattle we're going through this tremendous growth in this region and that growth and opportunity should be reaching everyone mm. and that resonated with voters um, yeah. and, and and so I won in 20 in, in 2019 and you know the rest is history you yeah. know um, mentioned it earlier but you know youngest ever yeah like, that was never the goal but that was the outcome yeah you know? yeah man no that's man that's so that's major bro and um <laughs> i actually saw um an interview you did with asian hustle network oh yeah yeah which was great um and in it you touched on kind of the the, the aspect of being in a leadership role yeah and now it's it's not about you anymore no it's not about oh i'm trying to figure out this niche or i'm no. trying it's like i'm serving the people that's right can you touch on kind of that, that position of servitude? Like yeah. what changed for you in that moment 
to where you realize, okay, it's not about me anymore. Did yeah. you have like that more? I mean, obviously, you know, prior to going into it, but until yeah. you get faced with it, like, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you realize that the things that you do as a politician, as a leader, as a policymaker mm-hmm. has such a huge reverberation around the community, right? Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest, th- the, the point of inflection was, you know, again, the anti-Asian hate mm-hmm. and a lot of the racial reckoning that we went through uh, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And at, at first I thought, you know, uh, yeah, being a port commissioner is cool, running this airport and the seaport is cool and it's very niche, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's not sexy maybe, but it's, it, it's influential work. Yeah. But um, during the pandemic when, you know, I found myself marching with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, uh, in South Seattle and uh, I found myself in the international district, you know, screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, to stop Asian hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a huge turning point for me and I realized, shit, this is not about I don't know if I'm allowed to swear here, but... No, no, go ahead. Okay. No, you're good. Yeah. Uh, this is no longer... This is greater than myself. Yeah. Right? This is not about me. It's about all all the, the people in my community, but also, you know, communities uh, of color in general mm-hmm. that have been marginalized, that have yeah. been underserved for so many years, mm-hmm. uh, that don't have a seat at the table, mm-hmm. um, that are underrepresented in some of the most powerful decision-making bodies, mm-hmm. right? Whether yeah. it's the port, the legislature, the Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, even now when I make decisions about, you know, um, who to support or uh, what I'm going to do next, um, it's no longer about me. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, well, is there someone else? Yeah. You know, like, can, can someone else step up and do this? Mm-hmm. And if not, can I do it? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and that's why I think uh, the representation is so crucial. Yeah. Uh, you, you saw it during the pandemic. You see it throughout history. Yeah. Uh, when you don't. You know, there's a saying in politics: uh, if you if if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. Mm. Oh man, I never heard that one. But yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, mm. but it's so true. Yeah, right. If you're not in the room that where the decisions are being made, that decision is going to be made for you. Mm. Yeah. Guarantee it. Yeah. Full stop. Wow. History has shown time and again, time again, yeah. mm-hmm. when yeah. you when your people are not in the room, uh, you are the victim. Mm. Uh, and that's why I appreciate people like Gary Locke, mm-hmm. uh, Normanetta, you know, people who have come before me, mm-hmm. who have represented us. Yeah. Right. Um, and and, and I, I feel like it's part of our duty as the next generation to mm. keep keep that going. Yeah. And grow it. Most like definitely. Frankly. Most definitely, bro. No, it's, it's important work, man. And and you know it before you get into it. But once you get into it, it, it opens. You feel it, though, right? Because yeah, yeah. now people are coming to you. Yeah. Right. They're asking yeah. for your help, yeah. you know, and um, it happened during the pandemic when the minority businesses at the airport were like, Sam, we're we're about to go under. Mm-hmm. Like we're not getting any sales. You know, I'm talking about like the food vendors and, yeah. the, and the restaurants. Right. When yeah. when when the foot traffic dipped at the airport to historically low levels, they were not, and, you know, all the restaurants in this area pivoted to like DoorDash and, and Uber Eats. They all pivoted yeah. to delivery. Yeah. A restaurant behind security in an airport can't do that. Yeah. yeah. They can't deliver. Yeah. Right. Cause those drivers can't get behind security. Yeah. Exactly. So for them, it was a double whammy. They were not only experiencing a drop in business because no one was flying, but they also just couldn't pivot. Mm. Uh, and those minority businesses that histo- don't have as much working capital yeah. or the financial wherewithal to try and, yeah. and, and weather the storm, yeah. mm-hmm. who did they reach out to? Mm. The minority commissioner, the mm. only minority commissioner. Mm. Yeah. I got calls and they were like, you know, if, it was, if I was white, would they have been comfortable calling me on my personal self? Yeah. I, do- I doubt it. That's I real. doubt it. Yeah. That's but real. the first guy who called me was an Asian American business owner at the airport who was desperate. 
Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, I need you to meet with us. And we need to figure out a way to get through this. Mm. So I, I literally drove down to SeaTac Airport yeah. in March and I met, had this roundtable discussion about, like, okay, what do y'all need? Mm-hmm. What can we do to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I don't think, I, I highly doubt that would have happened in any other circumstances where they didn't have representation. Yeah. No, that's, and that's yeah. just one of the many reasons exactly. why representation is important, bro. Um, and I'm, I'm happy powerful. to report not, not a single, not a single minority business went under during the pandemic. They're all still there. Wow. It's a blessing. Really proud of that. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's Shout a blessing man. for that, man. Yeah, Thank man. Yeah. Um, and being in the space you're in, obviously we've seen a lot of, not just in Seattle, but just in general, we've seen a lot of growth and evolution in terms yeah. of the image of government and politics yeah starting with obama if you want to start there too you know yeah um do you feel like it's changing in terms of how people view politics now because you could they could see themselves in it like whether it's yourself or even germai or people that are in the community that are in those positions now like how have you seen it shifting well i think again going back to the representation representation point Mm -hmm. is that there are increasingly more younger politicians today like Mm -hmm. you mentioned germai zahalai yeah Joe Wynn, yeah. you know, like we have a crew, Brandon Hershey over yeah. at the Seattle School Board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a crew of us that are kind of like under sub sub 40, I would say. I mean, and um, and I think it helps when you have those younger voices because, you know, when you see someone who looks like you, who speaks your lingo and mm-hmm. or has same, similar experiences as you, mm-hmm. like that turns your, that piques your interest. Yeah. Right. So I do feel like there is... Uh, a turning of the tides in terms of the interest engagement level that uh, they're, you know, in local politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, you know, for lack of a better term, like kids these days are a little more woke, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, I yeah. think that's partially because, you know, social media, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, yeah. you know, everyone's getting information in these like 14, 30 second sound bites. Yeah. And, um, you know, things are just blowing up a lot more. You know, I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I read this crazy quote that like, hit me was like on police brutality and people were like yo why is police brutality so bad these like so getting so much worse yeah and the guy was like it's not getting worse it's getting filmed exactly Mm. it's been there it's been there Mm. but now we have the platforms to get that out there and people are becoming more aware of it right so it's, it's a combination of youth younger people getting more involved in politics, but also I think the technology and the platforms that exist today yeah. are allowing younger folks. Like I talk to high school kids these days. Like, and I know you guys talk to high school mm-hmm. folks. Like they're so much more like aware of things oh, yeah, than yeah. I ever was. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes I have conversations with high school kids. I'm like, Oh, you learn a lot yeah. more from them. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I would not have that. Well, I know exactly. We inside. did a, We did an event, uh, not too, a couple years back. We did yeah. an event workshop at a high school and <laughs> we're yeah. coming in as like, you know, the ones who are supposed <laughs> to be like conducting, teaching, leading and all that. And we were just, yeah. our mouths were shut. We're just over yeah. here like, damn. Yeah. I mean, you I, guys are teaching us. hundred yeah. percent. I, I go in I there. It. I'm like, Oh, these guys know this already. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm super impressed with the youth today. Yeah, and I think likewise, people like Germai and y'all are doing a great job of getting kids uh, engaged earlier. Yeah, right. And and my hope is that like you know yeah I was 29, but I would love to see you know a 22 year old you know board commissioner someday or whatever and uh, or 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 an elected or whatever. Yeah, you know, and I think it it will it only helps to get more of us because the reality is these decisions on a high level are being made by 
how to touch politicians who just don't, don't understand the world today yeah. in many ways. There are yeah. times where I'm in the room with a bunch of old white dudes yeah. and I'm like, man, you're so out of touch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like it, it's, it's frustrating, right? Yeah. I, c- I can imagine. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I think one thing that I love is that, you know, ever since I was elected at the port, I have new two colleagues, Hamdi Mohammed mm. and yeah. Toshka Haza mm-hmm. Gawa. Yeah. Uh, shout out to, to the fam. Shout out to the squad. Shout out to the port squad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hashtag port squad. Um, <laughs> um, but, it makes a huge difference because not only do we now have a PO, first time ever POC majority port commission, three mm-hmm. out of five, mm-hmm. but when it comes to issues and, and policies, like it's so much easier to do the work because I don't need to spend so much time explaining it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like my lived experience is so similar and or adjacent to their yeah. lived experience yeah. that like when I'm in the room with my staff or with people who are trying to form policies, yeah. like there are times where I just look at Hamdi and I look at Toshiko and we just know what each other's are yeah. thinking, like you know, yeah. right? Or like, or like one of my colleagues will start asking a line of questioning, yeah. and I know exactly where that line of questioning yeah. is coming from, yeah. right? And I can piggyback off of that, yeah. right? I don't need to sit there or go to an, a room in the back and yeah. explain to them this is why this is my perspective. Yeah, no, that that's crazy. You said that. I was watching a clip earlier today where um, uh, I forgot the dude's name's Ari. He's a um, yeah, Ari Mel- Melble or Melble? I forgot his name, but he was breaking down uh, Jay Z's most recent featured verse on Khaled's album, mm-hmm. and like, the, pretty much he broke it down, like dissected the verse. But pretty much he was just saying how, like, damn, even this guy who's a billionaire is still having to explain to like white society why, yep, why this yeah. shit is all messed up. Yeah. yeah, no matter how high you go, he's and it's like, like you said, it's like we're tired of explaining and repeating ourselves constantly tiring, like bro man. like we've done this already it's yeah. all there for you so yeah um i mean something as s- simple as like translating signs to different languages mm-hmm. yeah something that so you know maybe if you grew up in a in, in a white household you never think oh like english is maybe the primary language but like people in this area speak vietnamese chinese korean mm-hmm. arabic mm-hmm. somali mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and so like when i was like you know we should we should translate these human trafficking awareness signs to the most commonly spoken languages. Mm. The fact that I even had to like, you know, suggest that. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's like yeah. You know, if you're being trafficked into this country, how mm-hmm. are you going to, what's the likelihood you can speak English and read it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Man. You know, with, with Hamdi and Toshiko, they're like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that is stuff like that. You yeah. Know? yeah. That's, that's why uh, I think having more of us yeah. in those seats it's gonna make a huge difference, yeah. man. And it, there's, are, there's it already a, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see it in the, in Seattle. We live in a bubble. Honestly, I think we're blessed in many ways. Yeah. Um, because we, we have uh, a, a lot of representation already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like the tides are shifting, and mm-hmm. that there's a there's a turnover, a generational uh, uh, change of the guards that's happening. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah. Like even us from the outside looking in, we're like, even when we just see you guys, we're like, all right, we feel yeah, a little it's bit comfortable. Yeah, it's way more comfortable for yeah. us, you know. So totally. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, it's a uh, man. We could we could sit here and chop it up with you all day, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. Um, but no, o- overall, man, you definitely the contributions have been made, and like I said at the beginning of the show, like our platform is for the next generation, right? Absolutely. We got to lay it down now so they can pick it up later, right? One hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, um, well, you can ask where people can follow and oh and yeah, to yeah, tap in. So um, you yeah, don't know already. Find you social media. Yeah, um, where can they tap in? My uh, Instagram is Sam H Cho, no spaces. Um, my Twitter is Sam Cho Tweets mm-hmm. with an S at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm not on TikTok yet. I'm yet. 
Yeah, I've, I'm 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 resisting. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I, we'll see how it. You know, when I'm up for re-election, I may have to tap into that. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'm I'm resisting. And, okay, it's uh, all good. Yeah. I, I try to resist yeah. for so long. I just got on, but so yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah. It's a process. It's too yeah. many to keep track of. You yeah. know, like I got to yeah. repost everything on three different platforms. <laughs> you know? It's like it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Know, yeah, real. No, that's real work. It, it, it is. Yeah, it's been crazy. Okay, so that's where they could find you. Um. Before we get to the wrap up of the show, I did want to ask, what are you most excited for for the future? Like, if if are you a manifester? Do you be manifesting a lot? Yeah, man. Um, okay. so you know, what, I what you, you know you know you know um, kind of going back to uh, you know the, our experience collectively over the last two and a half years when we saw the the you know I hate to keep going back to the you know the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. presentation because yeah. that you know the last two years. That I think it has the most profound impact on me and how mm. I and I perceive things. One thing that I'm really bullish on and really excited about is uh, actually solidarity and allyship between amongst communities. Mm. Um, I'll tell you, when I was in the international district, you know, protesting, you know, uh, you know, anti Asian hate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the black community showed up. Mm. You know, like Larry Gossett was literally sitting right behind me mm-hmm. in, in solidarity, mm-hmm. right? And I think, um, you know, I talked to folks, you know. Uh, know across the communities and there's definitely i feel like an appetite to figure out how moving forward these communities of color can work with each other mm. right whether it's the asian american community the black community mm. and the hispanic community and mm. all other ethnic minorities they you know a lot of the immigrant communities yeah. uh, and i'm really bullish on it because uh there's actually been in, in you know and most people may not be aware of this but there's actually been like this huge push to divide us you know especially mm. in the asian community i don't know if you all know what's going on in the asian community but there's a lot of di- divisiveness in the asian community mm. um and i think it's really important because um you know in, in order for uh, us to succeed uh collectively yeah. we, we need that allyship yeah. and solidarity yeah. um there's this and not to go too deep into, into it but like you know i feel like asian americans are painted in a certain way you know, um, there's this thing called the model minority myth. You might, you may have heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, there, there's this idea that, like, Asian immigrants and Asians are the model minority mm-hmm. uh, because they immigrate here, they assimilate, they go to good schools, they don't commit crimes, they work in corporate America, and they put their head down and work hard. That's, that, that's the model, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, I honestly think that, you know, when I think about my family's experience and, and why we came here, dude, yeah, we came here for the American dream. Mm-hmm. Right, the vast majority of immigrants come here for the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? We all we all want success, yeah. right? And with success comes privilege, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of even my family and a lot of Asians like they want to make money, they want to move up the corporate ladder, and they want to find that success, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but there's uh, and, and we love privilege, like everyone likes to be privileged, and I yeah. feel very privileged to be where I am. Yeah. But I guess where I'm going with this is, I want to say is like no matter how much we work as Asian Americans, as people of color, we mm-hmm. can never be white. Mm, yeah. we can never yeah. we can never adopt white privilege yeah right, right. sean yeah. good actually uh y'all know sean good he mm. over at choose 180 he calls this white adjacency mm. right where wow. like people like uh asians or, or or communities of color have this illusion that somehow if you like work really hard and work up the ladder of success that you can somehow adopt the privileges of being white yeah, yeah. right and yeah. that's how the divis- divisiveness is happening yeah is that there are factions of political parties and p- saying hey yeah. you know like do this, you know, like work yeah. your way up and you yeah. can join the good old boys club. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and it's just a total myth. Yeah. Right. And that's why I hate the model minority, minority myth. Yeah. And this, this, this perspective that, 
uh, if you work hard enough in life that yeah. you can enter this exclusive club of yeah. privilege yeah. that, you know, yeah. um, and even if that were true, you know, yeah. I tell this to, to people in my community all the time. It's that, you know, no matter, you know, how much you succeed, um, you know, as a community, we should never be willing to succeed at the expense of other communities of color. Mm. Does that make sense? So, that's like, real. Yes. you know that's what I'm real. saying? Yeah. So, like, look, I want Asians to succeed. Yeah. Right. But our success as a community should never come instead of the black community or the yeah. Latinx community. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. We should not yeah. be able, we should not be okay with stepping over our black brothers and sisters in yeah. order to pursue that success. That's right. right? We need to be select, succeeding collectively. Yeah. Right. Lock yeah. arms, move forward together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I think what's happened during the pandemic, mm. and it's full circle, is that we saw that, you know, uh, during the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement, we have so much more fighting to do. Yep. But the Asian community woke up to the fact that, wait a second, you told us we were the model, model minority. Mm-hmm. You told us that we were different. Yeah. But y'all are still, you guys are hating on us right now. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. of a virus in a country that, yeah. you know, across the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And there was this awakening within our community that says, that was like, okay, so we're not actually, yeah. that, that good old boys club that yeah. you invited us to. That's not real. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is an opportunity for our communities to really work with each other mm. to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we move forward together? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm really, really excited. I think that's why, you know, folks like Ramai, Joe, yeah. Brandon Hersey, and, 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 and this newer, younger group of politicians is so mm. amped up and yeah. involved in the community because yeah. we really see it. We really yeah. see this opportunity yeah. to work across communities and, and move the agenda forward. Yeah. yeah. Now, we've come a long way in terms of being able to um, communicate first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, have dialogue across yeah. cultures. You know, there was a yeah. time, you know, when people were actually <clears throat> physically blocked off from yep. each other, you know, to where these conversations can happen. So I, I'm glad you touched on that because I think it is important that we all extend empathy to, to yep. each other mm-hmm. in a way where there's understanding that could be gained because everybody's mm-hmm. suffering in their own right in some yeah. way, shape or form. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's about understanding and, and how we can help each other. So yeah. That's mm-hmm. real. I think uh, one of my staffers, um, at the port, uh, you know, I, I spoke at this uh, Blacks in Government uh, gala. They mm-hmm. asked me to keynote, and I was nervous because I, I'd never spoken to an all-black audience. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I expressed this to them. I was just very candid. I said, hey, man, um, I'm really nervous. I don't know. I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to slip up or offend. Because yeah. I don't know what it's like to be black, and yeah. you all don't know what it's like to be Asian. So yeah. for me to be talking about the experience yeah. uh, or, 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 you know, whatever yeah. was a very... Uh, it was scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guy, I mean, I'll never forget this. He's like, you'll never understand our struggle as black and African-Americans in this country, mm-hmm. but you do understand the struggle. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, you're right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like, yeah, I don't know exactly how y'all feel or experience yeah. the world, you know, in your identities, mm-hmm. but I, but I'm adjacent to that. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, there's a parallel track here yeah. and I do understand the struggle. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really all you need, you yeah. know, for communities to work together. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you really, you don't need, you just need a rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I like so, that. Yeah. I like that, man. It's all perspective based, man, too. To, to a degree. Absolutely. So yeah. Wow, man. <laughs> Dropping them gems, man. Dude, Dropping them gems. I didn't, um, I didn't expect to go uh, you're a beast, this deep, man. but <laughs> that's what it does, man. Um, now, before we get you out of here, we always yeah. ask our guests this question. Um, so, if you can, my brother, what's one word to describe what keeps you on the up and up, and why? Mm. One word. Um, for me, and my mo is opportunity. Mm. It really is. Um, and I might sound a little cliche right now, but um, you know, for me and my family's experience, it has always been. This country gave us an opportunity 
to that American dream mm-hmm. to find that success, right? Someone in D.C. gave me an opportunity to work for Obama, mm-hmm. right? Wilcox mm-hmm. Farms gave me an opportunity to start my export business, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, and so for me, you know, we, we talked a lot about paying it forward. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my mentors is Norm Mineta. He was, you know, a, an icon in the Asian American community. Mm-hmm. And he used to always say, Sam, if you've ever had the, the great fortune of making it to the top, and I don't consider myself to be at the top yet, mm-hmm. right? But I am still... I still feel like I'm in a point of privilege. He says, if you ever make it to the top, it's your job to press the elevator button and send the elevator back down. Mm. Right. And for me and the port and my role as a politician and as, as a leader in whatever capacity beyond being a politician, it's what opportunities cre- can I create for others so that they can replicate the success that I've had or that others have mm. for themselves. Mm. Yeah. I love like it. That. Yeah. Opportunity, man. Opportunity. It's all about opportunity. opportunity it, and and you know, it's up, it. it's up to each individual to choose to pick and embrace it. And you know, whether you succeed or not is your own volition. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, like I said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. And as politicians, I feel like our job as politicians is to create opportunity and prepare people to meet those. Mm. Well yeah. said, brother. Well said, well bro. Said. Very well said. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, for those listening and watching, viewers, um, family members, obviously, we like to call them, um, hopefully this was an episode that you guys can pick up from, right, learn from, help you move forward, for sure. keep it on the up and up, keep going, keep grinding, keep hustling. Um, Sam, we thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. You got, you got support with us here at the up and up always, man. Appreciate you, you know guys. that. Definitely. Um, yeah, Definitely. man, with that being said, I think it's safe to say, man, Sam Cho, the commissioner himself, <laughs> yes, is sir. officially a member of the up and up. Can we get a round of applause? Yeah. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you, too. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yo, what up? It's Rubino. And this is DJ Earn. We hope you enjoyed that episode and that now you have a better understanding of what it means to live life on the up and up. To continue supporting the podcast and the entire up and up movement, be sure to rate, review, like, and subscribe. As well as follow us at underscore the up and up on all social media platforms to stay connected with everything the up and up has coming your way. Thanks for listening. And until the next one, keep it on the up and up. <laughs>